We're going to see a, a passage of Scripture on the screen, and you can follow along as I read it. It's from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, the first 14 verses. We're going to look at this experience in the life of Jesus today and see how it relates to our Christian lives in 2022. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is the New International Version. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how will they go, how will, far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, I'm not finished with the passage yet, but I just have to throw this in. Becky and I went to the Holy Land, first time in our lives. We're both age 70. I wish I'd gone in my 30s. It would have helped in my sermon preparation and Bible study to see where Jesus did these miracles and see where he walked and see all the towns and the Sea of Galilee and all that. We, we saw all of that. And this afternoon at 4 o'clock, if you would like to hear the highlights of our report, we're going to be sharing that in the fireside room from 4 to 5. When we're done, there is a Sunday school class that meets at 5 o'clock, so they gave Pastor Mike some time parameters. You can only go from 4 to 5. And we're having refreshments where two or three are gathered in his name. Food shall be in their midst. Okay? Now, we're not going to show slide by slide and tell you what each slide is. Many of us have been captive audiences to friends that wanted to show us their vacation slides, right? Or photos, or now photos on a, a computer screen or television, and they'll show you a picture, and then they'll spend 10 minutes telling you about that scene, and then they'll click to the next, and you got another five to 10 minutes, and click to the next. I know how that goes. So we have put together a PowerPoint slide presentation that's timed. Each picture will be seven seconds. There'll be captions on the photo. We'll try not to interrupt and just let that play. And then we'll have a Q&A session at the end of that. And of course, the, the all inviting refreshments, four to five today. Now I told you all that to tell you this. This passage of scripture says that there was grass in that area. Have any of you ever been to the Holy Land? <laughs> ever see any pictures of the Holy Land? There's not a lot of grass in the Holy Land. In fact, we had a lady on, in our tour group. Uh, she's a children's pastor at a large Wesleyan church in Indiana. She went with her parents and her siblings, but not her own husband and children. 
So she was FaceTiming with her family back in Indiana, telling them all about her trip. And she told her 10-year-old son, when mommy gets home, she'll show you pictures of my trip. Well, she forgot that her 10-year-old son had a Sunday school teacher who just recently went to the Holy Land, came back and showed all of her pictures to her children's Sunday school class. And her 10-year-old said, no thanks, Mom. It's all just a bunch of boring rocks. <laughs> well, he's not far off. It's not boring if you know the Bible and love the Lord and, and are kind of enthralled with the whole concept of being there, but it is a bunch of rocks and sand. Uh, there's not a lot of trees, and there's hardly any grass. So the fact that Jesus was at a place where there was lots of grass must be significant because John specifically mentions that. There was grass for them to sit on. Maybe not a lot of shade, but at least there was grass. And Jesus had them sit down, and there were more than 5,000 people there, all right? Jesus then took the loaves, what loaves? The loaves from the little boy's lunch, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were served, seated, as much as they wanted. Now, was it Philip that said, Lord, 200 days wages would not be enough to give people a bite. And this says they received as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, sounds like a buffet to me, right? Take all you want, eat all you take. They had all gotten as much as they wanted. They were all full and Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw this sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, Bible scholars and especially Bible skeptics have tried to debate the reality of this miracle. I've even heard some people say, well, the miracle was not that Jesus multiplied the fish and the bread. The miracle was that everybody changed their attitude and everybody contributed. As soon as they saw the little boy gave his lunch, then they all said, well, I've got some stuff stashed away too. I brought some things to eat. I've got stuff in my pockets or in my bag or in my knapsack. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll contribute too. And that would be a miracle because people suddenly became generous. Well, that might work. That would be a miracle to some degree. But the miracle is what the Bible says it was. Jesus, by praying and asking God, the Father, Jesus multiplied five little loaves of bread and two fish, and everybody ate until they were full. I wish I had time for us to read this miracle in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, for one thing, did you know it's the only miracle in the Gospels that is recorded in all four? Now think about that. I mean, 
the, the Gospels are written by followers of Jesus. They tried to recount and record all of his great teaching, his miracles, the, some of his history, his activities. Why out of all the miracles Jesus performed is this the only one that all four thought was special enough to record in their account? I don't have the answer to that. I just think it's curious. I think it's interesting that this particular miracle is recorded in all four. Now, imagine for just a moment that you were a newspaper or television news reporter covering the miraculous event of 5,000 plus people being fed in a rural setting. Your editor has sent you out to get all the facts, to interview witnesses, and to give a report of exactly what happened. In the four different stories, we get a lot of interesting facts that come from Matthew and John, who were eyewitnesses, right? Matthew, the former tax collector. John, the former fisherman. They're now disciples of Jesus. They were there. They saw it with their own eyes. As a reporter, you would get an account from Mark, or at least we have the report from Mark. But chances are Mark wrote down for us what Peter told him to say. And Peter was one of the disciples, so he was there as an eyewitness. And then we have Luke, the storyteller, who gathered his facts from all the apostles who became his friends some years after this event. But if you will take time to read all four accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll see some different little facts, some different little situations in each one that make them unique. But let me hit the highlights for you. The Gospels make it very clear that this miracle was a miracle of compassion. Compassion. Now we think, well, it sure made Jesus look good. I mean, everybody we've been talking, 5,000 plus people fed from a little lunch. But this was a miracle of compassion. It, this story has a strong element of the compassion of Jesus in it. Jesus saw the needs of the multitude that day, and his loving heart wanted to meet those needs. Look at this definition of compassion. I think it's very interesting. Compassion is a sympathetic, even empathetic awareness of another's distress together with a desire to alleviate it. I think we all know what sympathy is. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, feeling touched with someone else's situation, uh, having concern for someone else and what they're going through. When someone loses a loved one, we all express our sympathies and our condolences. If you have a friend that lost his job, you say, man, you've got my sympathy, but Things will open up. The, you know, the right job will come along. Sympathy is a feeling of concern or sorrow for someone. Empathy is more than just a feeling of concern. Empathy says, I've been there. I've experienced that myself. I know what you're going through. But compassion is even more than that. Compassion says, I feel bad for you. I know what you're going through. I've experienced it myself, and I want to do something to help you in this situation. I want to do something that will help alleviate this burden or this problem you're facing. Jesus 
had compassion on the people. He saw their distress, he saw their burdens and their problems, and he wanted to do something about it. Now, who better to do something about your problems than Jesus? Because he is able. Jesus had spent the entire day, the Gospels tell us, teaching and healing scores, even hundreds of people because of his compassion. And that's interesting because Jesus is trying to get away with his disciples. If you read the first verse with me, it says Jesus had taken his disciples up to this mountainside and it was just going to be the 13 of them. Maybe he was going to have some time with his heavenly father and with his disciples. Maybe a special time to teach them and to fellowship with them and to pour his life into them. And then they see the crowds coming. Because crowds always gathered where Jesus was. So it almost seems like Jesus is the one who needs compassion here. Jesus can't get away from the crowds. He can't get any time to himself. He's worn out. But he has compassion on them. Why? Well, two of the Gospels tell us Jesus had compassion on the crowds because, quote, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that something? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. The psalm tells us, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I'm not in want. The Lord is my shepherd. He takes care of my needs. He helps me through the most difficult times of life. He goes out and searches for me, even if I'm the only one lost and all the others are still safe in the fold. That's how much he cares. He's the good shepherd. He knows me by name. Can you imagine being able to tell sheep apart so that you knew each one's name? They all look alike to me. The good shepherd reaching out for us, taking care of us, providing for us, protecting us, seeking for us. He is everything we need. He is the good shepherd. And he had compassion on them because they needed a shepherd. That sounds like the Jesus I know. How about you? Yes, because the Jesus that I know, he knows what you're going through. He knows He's aware. You say, well, I feel so all alone. We used to say this. I feel like when I pray, the ceiling is made out of brass. You ever heard anybody say that? In other words, my prayers only go as high as the ceiling, and then the brass ceiling stops my prayer. They're not getting through. I feel like that Jesus can't hear me. I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like I'm ineffective. I'm not getting through. Oh, no. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He is aware. He knows it all. And he's aware of what you're going through. He knows. And better than that, he cares. He knows and he cares. You might have a friend or a co-worker or, or someone in your life that knows you're going through a rough time. But the truth is, they don't really care. They don't know you well enough. They don't love you enough. You're not close enough. They don't really care what you're going through. They might know about it. They may have heard, but they don't care. Jesus not only knows, he cares. 
Now, you remember when Moses was out in the wilderness, he had been running from God and been running from things that happened back in Egypt. He's out in the, in the mountains and, and he sees the burning bush. Remember that? Everybody knows that. He had to take his shoes off, right? He was on holy ground. And then God spoke to him through the burning bush. And here's what God said. Moses, my people are slaves in Egypt and I'm sending you to get them out. But here's what God said specifically. I have seen their situation. I have heard their cries and I have come down to help them. Now think about that in terms of today. Think about that in terms of your life. He sees your situation. He's heard your cries, and he has come down to help you in whatever you're going through because he knows and he cares. And furthermore, he's powerful enough that he can he can. Now, not everybody who knows what you're going through and not everybody who cares what you're going through can do anything about it. There's a lot of people that are not equipped to help you. They don't have the resources. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the skill. But God knows and he cares and he can. I tell you, compassion combined with power is a fantastic asset. And that's what God is all about. Compassion and power. He knows, he cares, he can, and he will. He will. I know we doubt, I know we get caught up in everyday life and all the stuff that weighs us down, but take faith. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He knows, he cares, he can, and he will. Well, back to the story. Meanwhile, back at the grassy place, right? John gives us names. The other three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't tell us anybody's specific name. I don't know if John's being a tattletale or what. But John says that Philip was completely pessimistic about this whole situation. When Jesus said, what are we going to feed these people? Philip's answer was, no way. It can't be done. Not even 200 denarii would provide enough food for this many people. Now, I know Philip wouldn't say this to Jesus' face, but it's almost like he's saying, Jesus, you created the world. You created people. You created food. Can't you figure out mathematically or quantitatively that there's not going to be enough food to feed this many people? We're out in the middle of nowhere we don't have gardens or, or farm fields. There aren't any restaurants or grocery stores. How could we feed this many people? It is impossible. Now, I don't know what a denarii was, and I was just in Israel. Actually, it's a denarius, and more than one is a denarii, okay? But they say in Jesus' day, one denarius was a day's wage, and Philip says, even if we had 200 days wages, we couldn't feed this many people. We wouldn't even be able to give everybody a bite. <laughs> well, Jesus has other ideas, doesn't he? I don't know what you're facing. And I know what the devil says to us sometimes about what God can and cannot do. But you just need to say, wait a minute. 
I know my Jesus. I know what he's able to do. I know I can trust him. And so Philip's pessimistic, but Andrew, John says, is somewhat optimistic. Hmm, maybe it could be done. It could happen. Here's a boy with a lunch. What do you got in there, boy? Five loaves and two fishes. Now, not that it would make any difference, but we're not talking about loaves of bread. You know, the kind that come out of the oven, nice and poofy, and you wait till it cools down enough that you can slice it, and you've got all this bread. Or you can get, grab hunks of it, nice big loaves. No. We're talking about doorstop loaves. You know what a doorstop is? It's something heavy that you put on the floor when your door keeps closing and you want it to stay open. Out here at the sanctuary doors, we have doorstops built in. They flip down and stop the door from closing. Well, maybe your little sister used to make brownies or biscuits, and you could use them for doorstops, right? So probably, oh, remember the kind of biscuits that came in the can? You took the wrapper off, and then you whacked it on the counter, and it popped open. Those are like the littlest, measly little biscuits. And my mom always got them too done. She'd always look in and say, oh, we'll just give them another minute. I'd say, no, Mom, that's when you need to take it out. Because that other minute turned into five or six with her distracted doing other things. And then they came out burnt or brown or too hard. So anyway, five loaves, not loaves, five little biscuits. Not biscuit world biscuits, little biscuits. Five little biscuits and two fish. Now, we're not talking about 18-inch bass or a nice 14-inch trout. We're probably talking about dried, maybe smoked fish, probably sardine size or what are they called, bluegill size. I mean, just little things. And it was probably the whole fish. So by the time you got all the bones out and the eyes and the tail and the gills and everything else, there was probably about a tablespoon of meat at the most. And so the little boy offers his lunch. And Andrew says, we can do something with that. What kind of optimist is that? Yay, Andrew, way to go, buddy. Now, we don't know much about this little boy. In fact, we hardly know anything. John gives us the names of Philip and Andrew, but he doesn't tell us the little boy's name. I would have wanted to find out his name. His address, I would have wanted to send him a reward or something. Well, we don't know much about him, but use your imagination again. A minute ago, you were imagining you were a reporter. Now, use your imagination. It's early in the morning. The little boy says, Mom, I want to go where Jesus is today. All my friends are going. Can I go, Mom? Can I, can I, can I, can I? Right? And typical mom says, are your chores finished? Is your homework caught up? Who are you going to go with? How far away is it? What time will you be home? All the mom questions and concerns. So she finally gives in and she packs him a little lunch and allows him to go. All day he carries his lunch, maybe in a backpack-like thing, maybe in a little sack of some kind, maybe tied to a walking stick, who knows. But he, all day he carries his lunch and hangs out with his friends. They tease him a little bit about being a mama's boy because he's the only one that brought a lunch. But as the day goes on, they're a little more jealous because he's got a stash he can fall back on. 
Late in the afternoon, he realizes, I haven't eaten my lunch. I forgot all about it. This has been such a special day. I've enjoyed listening to Jesus and watching him interact with people. And there are people that are jumping around that could hardly walk a minute ago. There's a guy that's, that's walking up to everybody and shaking hands. And until a half hour ago, he was blind. He couldn't even see. And there are friends talking to their buddy, and he was deaf, and now he hears every word they're saying. This has been a special day. And he forgot all about eating his lunch. But late in the afternoon, he overhears Jesus and his disciples talking about feeding everyone. And he sees the look of concern on their faces. He doesn't know anything about a day's wage, let alone 200 of them. He realizes that he has something they might be able to use. So he goes up to Andrew and offers his five biscuits and two dried fish. <laughs> wow. You know, that little boy had a choice. And maybe you can relate to this. In fact, he had three choices. Here's what he could have said. This is my lunch, and it's all for me. You know, there are a lot of people that go through life like that. This is my stuff. This is my life. And it's all about me. This is my lunch. And it's all for me. I'm not sharing it with my buddies. I'll take it home if I have to. This is my lunch. Whether I eat it or not, it's my lunch. I'm in control of it. Leave me alone. It's my lunch. And it's all for me. Or he could have been a little nicer and said, it's my lunch, but I'll share some of it. Here, here's a couple of biscuits. It's my lunch, but I'll share some of it. There's some people that go through life that way too. It's all mine, but I'll help out a little. I'll throw in my little contribution. I'll share some of it. But here's the boy's response. It's my lunch, and you can have it. It's my lunch, and you can have it. Wow. That became an object lesson, folks. You know what an object lesson is? That's when the teacher has some props or some pictures or some charts, and when she's teaching the lesson, she can point to that and say, See this object right here? It's teaching us a lesson. That was a real live object lesson in surrender. The little boy gave it up. It was his lunch. He didn't have to do it. Andrew didn't go over and say, hey, what are you hiding in that sack? You got to give that up, boy. No, he offered it. He said, it's my lunch, but you can have it. It was a lesson in surrender. He gave it up. It was, a, it was a lesson in sacrifice. It was the only lunch he had. Now, he, I know he could have gone on home eventually and gotten something to eat. But you know his mom would have said, what would you do with that lunch? Well, he surrendered it. He surrendered it and he sacrificed it. Some of you were here last week when I gave you this statement. There's never a feast without a sacrifice. You talk about a feast, folks. 5,000 plus people were fed because he sacrificed 
his lunch. It was a lesson in obedience. He didn't have to do it, but he willingly gave his lunch. It was an exercise in faith, not only for the little boy, but for Philip to even, or excuse me, Andrew to even come to Jesus and say, well, we do have this lunch. Could you do anything with that? That's faith, folks. It was an exercise in provision, how God provides for us, how he provided for them that day and how he provides for us. So what does all this have to say to us today, 2022? A little boy and his lunch, a miracle recorded in all four gospels. Well, let me just wrap it up by telling you these three things. First of all, tell Christ what you have. Now, I know right away some of you are saying, why should I have to tell him he knows what I have? In fact, he gave it to me. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for Jesus. Uh, He provides everything I need. Everything I've got has directly or indirectly come from him. Why do I need to tell him what I've got? Because he wants you to. He wants you to assess what you have, to recognize what you have, and then to offer it to him. Tell Christ what you have. I know he knows, but he wants you to recognize it. Tell him what you can offer or what you can do. The second point is this. Listen to what he says and obey what he commands. Listen to what he says and obey what he commands. Jesus said to Andrew and the other disciples, have the people sit down, we're going to feed them. They listened. Somehow they got 5,000 plus people to sit down. One of the gospels says they even sit down in certain numbers of people, like sections. I don't know how. I, I mean, if I would have told these people that came up to join the church today, would you all stand in chronological order, youngest to oldest, Think how long that would have taken. Or if I would have even said, you families all get in alphabetical order. They would have said, okay, S for Stocks, S for Schroeder. Oh, no, I'm already confused because that's both S's. Oh, and then what about Soris? Oh, no, three S's. Uh, S-C-H comes before S-O-R comes before S-T-O, right? And then you got to throw in the Garrett's. Well, they're before the S's, right? So we would have had a mess on our hands. But somehow, the disciples got those people to sit down in an organized way, and Jesus started doing what he does best, working miracles. Listen to what he says and obey what he commands. Remember when Jesus and Mary went to the wedding in Cana? Jesus hadn't started his earthly ministry yet. He hadn't worked a miracle yet. But they ran out of wine at the wedding. And for some reason, the people came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, they ran out of wine. Would you tell your son? It's like, huh? So she tells Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not having anything to do with that. My time hasn't come yet. And Mary says, well, just think about Jesus. Help them out. So Jesus says, all right. Really, I almost think that's the way it happened. All right. For you, Mom. And Mary says to the people who requested, remember what she said? Ready? Whatever he says, do it. That's what Mary told them. I have no idea what he's going to (laughs) do, but I know who he is. 
I know this isn't just anybody's son. I raised him, but I know he's the son of God. He's the miracle worker. Whatever he says, do it. Amen. And they did, and Jesus told them to fill up the water pots. And when they dipped in, it was wine, not water. Whatever he says, do it. And the third truth from this sermon is rejoice in what he does through you. Celebrate the victories. Yes, you will have some victories when you offer yourself and your stuff to him. When you listen to his voice and obey his commands, you will have some victories to celebrate. He needs you. Think of that. He wants you. He will work through you and what you have to offer. You can give material for a miracle. How about that? Now, you can't offer what you don't have, but recognize what you do have. I know sometimes we're sorry we don't have more. We're embarrassed that we have too little to offer. But think of this, folks. We may have missed miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we did not bring and offer to Jesus what we have and who we are. I need to say that again. We may have missed miracle after miracle and triumph after triumph because we didn't bring and offer to Jesus what we have and who we are. Don't miss it. He wants to do some amazing things through you. There's no reason for failing to bring what we do have. Amen. I wish we could have followed that little boy back home, don't you? Use your imagination again. He tried to tell his mom what happened. I think he went in and said, Mom, you'll never believe what happened where Jesus was today. Oh, did he heal people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not it. Well, did, he, uh, you know, did he teach anything new? Oh, yeah, but that's not it. He used my lunch to feed everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Uh, how many were there? I don't know. Lots. Well, how could he use your little lunch? And then there's a knock at the door. The little boy's trying to tell his mom. There's a knock at the door, and there are all 12 disciples, each holding a basket of fragments. And they say, you've got a very special little boy here. Because of his sacrifice, everybody at the gathering today ate, and we want your family to have all the leftovers. Wow, I wonder if they were able to eat for 200 days. <laughs> what a miracle. What a blessing. What a triumph. What a victory. 5,000 plus people were healed, loved, and filled that day. And Jesus is still working miracles, folks. He is. Tell him what you have and offer it to him. Listen and obey. Rejoice in the victories as he works miracles in your life and in the lives around you. Let me just throw this in because I think it's clever, okay? <laughs> I don't know if it really helps the sermon, but I think it's pretty clever. Jesus, the bread of life, capital B, right? The bread of life, born in Bethlehem, which is house of bread, 
Jesus, the bread of life, born in a town known as the house of bread, calls us to be fishers of men. See what I did there? The bread and the fish. Jesus, the bread of life, born in the house of bread, calls us to be fishers of men. And then he provides our daily bread as he did in the wilderness when he gave them manna or bread from heaven. He feeds us with his word and he fills us with his spirit. Yes, we are healed, loved, and filled. Praise his name. If there's something missing in your life today, if you haven't offered yourself and what you've got to him, I'll tell you, the way to victory is to give it all. Just give it to him. Go all in for Jesus. Now, there's an old song. My wife's going to, she's already there. There's an old song. It's so old, it was in the last hymnal, which was put out 30 years ago. And I'm going to sing it for you, but some of you know it. So you're welcome to sing along. The words will be on the screen. If you've never heard it, just listen to it and pay attention to the words and realize that just as in the case of this little boy, his little became much when it was given to God. In the harvest field now ripened, there's a work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest, calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? Well, it is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here has ended and our race on earth is run, He will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame there's a crown and you can win it if you go in jesus name offer it all up to him and see what great things he can do we're going to open uh, we're going to ask our communion servers to come and open the, uh, the altar for 
our time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you invite us to your table. And so we offer up these gifts of communion, the unleavened bread, which represents your body broken for us, and the unfermented wine, the grape juice, which represents your blood spilled out. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. God the Father loved us so much that he gave his only son. Jesus was willing to go to the cross in our place. We're thankful for the plan of salvation and all that we've received. So we celebrate again what you've done for us, and we honor you in this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to come forward and receive the gifts of communion at the tables to my right or left, if you need one of the uh, prepackaged communion sets, they're in the baskets here on the altar. You're welcome to come and kneel at the altar, but we'll all be receiving communion together in just a moment.